Student achievement varies widely from one country to the next. But why is that the case? We know that in the US, differences in teacher effectiveness are perhaps the most important drivers of differences in student learning. But does teacher quality play the same role internationally? If so, what makes the teachers in one school system more effective than those in another? And what might policymakers here in the US learn from those cross-country differences? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and I'm joined today by Eric Hanishek, the Paul and Jean Hanna Senior Fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Along with German economists Mark Piapjanik and Simone Wiederhold, he's the author of Do Smarter Teachers Make Smarter Students, which will appear in the spring 2019 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Rick, welcome to the EdNext podcast. Marty, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Now, you've been studying teacher effectiveness for several decades now, and the vast majority of that research has been conducted within the U.S. What is the value added by using international data to address questions related to teacher quality? Well, the general issue is how do you measure teacher quality? We know that the United States internationally does not perform so well on the student test, like the PISA test. And it would be nice to know what is the cause of that. In particular, is it due to teachers? But we've had trouble identifying specific attributes of teachers that are comparable across countries. We now think that we can. And so how did the opportunity to conduct this research come about? What was the new source of data that made it possible? In 2012 and then subsequently in 2014, the OECD, the Club of uh, Developed Nations, launched a survey of the adult population in 33 different countries. Now, the interesting part of this survey of the adult population is that they found out lots of information about the employment and wages and background of workers throughout these different countries, but they also gave them math and reading tests so that we have a picture of the cognitive skills as measured by these math and reading tests of the adult populations of different countries. Moreover, because we know their employment status, we can look up the uh, teachers in this sample because we know what occupations they're in. And all of a sudden, out of this, we have a picture of how do the cognitive skills of teachers vary across countries? Are there teachers that are smarter in some countries than others? And additionally, does it matter? And so one initial question that no one's been able to address previously that you and your colleagues were able to do is simply, how big are the differences in teacher skills across countries? What, what do you find in that initial question? Well, what we find is that there are huge differences across countries. Um, and the reason they're different is important. We know from the PISA test and other tests that uh, the college graduates in some countries are smarter. They have higher test scores than the college graduates in other countries. So that teachers just randomly drawn 
out of the distribution of college graduates in some countries will be smarter than those in others. But the second thing that's really important and why it becomes interesting from a policy standpoint is that different countries make different choices about where uh, in the distribution of skills of college graduates the teachers come from. And that we've tried to exploit both of those differences to see how, how much difference does it make if you have a smarter teacher rather than a less smart teacher. And where do American teachers rank internationally among this club of developed countries that participate in the PISA assessments? Well, in math, not very well. We're below average of these 31 countries that we eventually use in our sample. Um, in reading, we're slightly above the average, but we're quite a distance from um, the Finnish teachers or the Korean teachers and the Singaporean teachers, which are found at the top of the rankings. So you first take these data and then you look across the countries like those you just mentioned, but also some lower performing countries like Italy or Greece, and you see if students perform at higher levels in a given subject, uh, say math, when their teachers have stronger skills in that area. Is that right? And what do you find? Yeah, that's precisely what we do. And what we find is that it matters, that uh, smarter teachers produce smarter kids. Now, of course, just looking across countries like that leads to all kinds of questions about is it something about the culture or the general population? Is it really the teachers that matter? And so the real analytical work is trying to convince people that, in fact, it's the teachers that matter and not just uh, the characteristics of the overall population. And one of the ways you do that, I recall, is by taking advantage of the types of situations you just mentioned when talking about American teachers. American teachers, you said, perform a bit better in reading than they do in math. So you look then to see if countries where the teachers have that set of skills, if students follow that same pattern, doing better in one subject than the other, right? Precisely. We're looking at whether differences in teacher skills across these areas come through as differences to the students. Now, the advantage of this is that we're just looking at different performances of the students within a given country. So since the student is in the, in the United States, for example, whether the student does better in math or reading um, eliminates a lot of the differences across countries because we're just looking within individual students. So we can rule out that some countries just place a higher value on education and that's reflected in the skills of their teachers and their students for some reason other than the skills of the teachers themselves in that case. Precisely. That's the idea behind this. But could it be the case that countries place greater cultural value on math achievement than they do on reading achievement, say, and that this leads both teachers and students to perform better in math in that case? Why shouldn't we be worried about that possibility? Well, we are worried about that. Um, you're taking it right down to the heart of this. Um, if some countries uh, just think that math is the only thing that matters and put all their emphasis on that, we could get confused by this. So what we try to do is look at whether it's, um, look at 
different versions of who might be teachers in each country. So we take the skills of all the major occupational groups and say, well, if we call them teachers, like all the business people teachers or all the health workers teachers, do we get the same relationship with the student performance? And the fact is that when we do this placebo analysis, this using fake data for teachers, we don't get anywhere near the same answers. That in fact, it points directly at the quality of the teachers themselves. So it's what teachers know, not what the public as a whole know that matters for what students learn. Yes, that's the important thing. All right. So having convinced us that teachers' cognitive skills really do matter, the natural question is, what explains them? Uh, You and your colleagues consider two possible factors. The first is how teaching has been affected by competition from other jobs that demand high skills. Why is this important and how do you measure it? Well, we have a a conventional wisdom is that uh, teachers in the past were different than teachers today, and largely because in the past, women had two occupations that they primarily went into if they were professional. One was teaching and one was nursing. And then over time, as more women came into the labor market and as the occupations opened up, suddenly women were becoming managers and doctors and lawyers, and they were attracting some of the brightest uh, women away from teaching and into these other occupations. So that's been the common hypothesis, and in fact, it's true. And it's true in the United States, and it's true in all the other countries that we looked at. Historically, when women were much more concentrated in teaching, the teachers were on average smarter according to these math and reading achievement tests. As women went into other occupations, which we can measure by the distribution of occupations that males are in, as they went into other high-skilled occupations, we saw that the quality of the teachers, again measured in this specific way, started to decline. And the extent to which other jobs have become open to women varies a lot from one country to the next. And you show that where women have more opportunities, unfortunately, that's where you see more of a decline in teacher skills. Is that right? That's precisely the case. So in a country like Singapore, where women still are largely teachers, or much more so than in the United States, it turns out that they are smarter. They're drawn from a higher point in their distribution. So those results are fascinating, but not particularly policy relevant. As you point out in the article, restricting women's job opportunities is hardly an appealing strategy to improve teacher quality. So the second factor is perhaps the one that's more interesting and just deals with how well teachers are paid. How do you measure this for the purposes of this analysis, and and what do you find? Well, if you remember, Marty, we discussed these broad surveys of the adult populations in each of these countries. We know the wages of all of our sampled people. We know what their skills are as measured by these tests, and we know how much experience they have in the labor market. And so we can 
estimate uh, what's standard in labor economics uh, of an earnings function that relates earnings to the measured skills on these test scores plus the experience levels of the people plus their gender. And then we say, are teachers paid at the same uh, level as other workers in the economy, other non-teachers? And what we find is that across countries, there's a large distribution of the premium or discounts paid uh, that teachers are paid. Interestingly, of our 31 countries, the U.S. is at the bottom, along with Sweden, of discounting pay by 22% compared to a comparable worker in terms of experience and skills and gender. Whereas there are other countries that are a little bit hard to explain, and that's uh, at the top of the list is Ireland that's paying a 45% premium to its teachers. So you see that there's a, a continuum of discounts and premiums paid to teachers, but the U.S. is at the bottom. And when you line these premiums and discounts up with the cognitive skills of teachers, you find that it explains a good deal of them. And not only that, but you can also see a relationship between those wage premiums or penalties for teachers and student achievement. Yes, these translate straight through from salary differentials to student achievement when we look across countries. So your study and our conversation about it has covered a lot of ground from how teacher skills vary across countries to how much that matters to what we could do about the middling skill levels we see in the U.S. What's the most important thing that you want listeners and policymakers to take away? Is the bottom line message that we just need to increase teacher pay here in the U.S.? Well, I think that the bottom line message is that we've chosen a very bad equilibrium. The equilibrium we've chosen is that we underpay our teachers and we get what we pay for. Now, the opposite side of this is how do we get away from this gets a little bit trickier because if we just raise all teachers' salaries, we're going to raise the salaries of existing effective teachers and existing ineffective teachers. And we're going to lock in our current workforce for a while into the future because it's an attractive job and more attractive with higher pay. So that the only answer from a policy standpoint, if we want to change our achievement within the next two decades, is to think of a bargain where we increase the pay of teachers, but also at the same time tilt the function more based upon the effectiveness of the teachers. That's the only way that we could get uh, any immediate response from increasing the teachers. So that all of the strikes from West Virginia to Arizona, to Colorado, to Oklahoma, to Los Angeles, and now to, to Oakland um, are entirely focused on raising everybody's salaries by the same amount, saying that we're underpaying too much. And the answer from those, I fear, is that we're not going to get much out of it. Eventually, some more people might want to potentially become teachers and join into the pool. And if we select well from those in the future, maybe our average uh, teacher quality will increase. 
but it'll be so long in the future that nobody will think that salary is doing what we want it to. So that the only policy hope, I think, is to make this bargain where higher pay goes along with more attention to the effectiveness of teachers. So I certainly understand that argument that the most efficient way to use resources to address this problem would be to find a way to link teacher pay to performance. But, you know, as you mentioned, we're in a bad equilibrium as a national school system. And could it be the case that an across-the-board increase is simply the price we have to pay to get out of this bad equilibrium? Well, it's it's one way to try to get out of it. Um, it's uh, not clear that we can do that in the, in any reasonable length of time uh, because we lock in um, all of the current teaching force, and we um, I basically think that teachers are working as hard as they can and as effectively as they can. So just paying them more money is not going to change what they do in the classroom. The only possible way that you can get gains from that is to change the group of people that want to go into teaching, expand the pool of potential teachers, select from that pool in the future, and wait till these people um, who hopefully are better teachers become a large portion of the teaching force. That's a a long way to wait. you can say that, well, maybe this is reparations to past teachers, but that's uh, not going to be the policy that gives us improved student performance. My guest today has been Rick Hanishek, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and author of Do Smarter Teachers Make Smarter Students, available now at educationnext.org. Rick, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks, as always, for having me, Marty. You've been listening to the EdNext podcast. If you like what you've heard, Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. While you're there, be sure to check out our archive and, especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.